think it's important to highlight that no one wants to see any type of escalation or increase in conflict in this region. But it's also important that when you have the international community being regularly attacked uh, indiscriminately by these Houthi uh, rebels, uh, that, that we need to take action. And last night we did that. Who was that? Who, who was that? That was uh, the Pentagon spokesman, Major General Patrick Ryder. Why, why do we constantly say, look, the last thing we want is for this to become a bigger fight? Why do we constantly say that as opposed to every now and then hinting toward, you better not mess with us or we will wipe you off the face of the earth? Yeah, we're going to go nuts. Just so you know, yeah, the, the very same thing struck me. Talking about the strikes conducted by U.S. and British forces supported by other allies that targeted radar and air defense systems of the Houthi rebels based in Yemen there. They've been attacking shipping uh, in the area, in the Gulf, uh, 73 strikes, hundreds and hundreds of missiles and bombs and that sort of thing. Um, uh, to what extent did we do any damage? Will it escalate the fight? All sorts of questions to ask, and a great guy to ask him to, Dr. Jeff McCausland, CBS News military consultant, joins us. Jeff, how are you, sir? Doing very well, but a busy day, to say the least. Yeah, I'd say. So was that a big punch in the nose, like really a not know we're serious or not so much? Where where does it rank in terms of uh, the amount of force it, that 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 demonstration was yesterday well, it was a significant response there's no two ways about it i mean there's nothing like you know a whole bunch of cruise missiles and f-18 strikes landing in your backyard to get your attention and you also have to look at it in, in relative terms you know yemen uh, is a very very poor country it's been involved in a war with saudi arabia since 2014 it was labeled prior to the war in ukraine and the war in gaza as the largest humanitarian disaster on the planet earth with well over half of the population being malnourished, people involved in starvation. So why the government of Yemen wants right now to pick a, a fight with not only the United States, but I think it's important to underscore this is a fight with the international community. Why the government, who should be looking after the population, want to do this right now is beyond me. And I get Iran's motivation in wanting to constantly portray themselves as the other power in the Mideast uh, for their own purposes. But as you point out, I can't imagine what the Houthis think is in it for them, unless it's purely a case of Iran said, look, if you want continued financing, you're going to do this for us. Well, there's that. There's a certain uh, motivation based on the Palestinian cause. There's no two ways about that. Uh, Palestinians. Since the inception of Israel in 1948, the plight of the Palestinians does resonate with the Arab populations all across the region. There's no two ways about that. But also, I happen to agree with you. I think in many ways what we're seeing is this power game, largely conducted by Iran. Yemen is a proxy of Iran. doesn't mean Iran has complete control over the Yemenis, but certainly a large control over them. And the military power they have is derived from Iran. But Iran is willing to fight to the last Yemeni, the last... Palestinian, the last uh, Lebanese, because Hezbollah and some of the Lebanon is involved, the last Iraqi. They're willing to fight to the last one of them. I'm not quite so sure that Iran itself wants to get into a direct confrontation or direct conflict with the United States and more broadly the Western community. But we keep saying, you better stop, you better stop, and they don't. So what, what would, if they, if they don't, if they continue to not stop, if they continue to attack uh, the shipping lanes, what would be the next step? The next step would be a, a larger-scale bombing attack. And I think over time, we can render their ability to conduct these kind of attacks pretty much non-existent. 
because obviously, though they have a significant military force, it's not an overwhelming military force, number one. Nothing like the United States can bring to bear. Certainly they haven't got the air defense networks or counter-air aircraft that can interrupt our airstrikes. So we can make life pr- pretty doggone miserable for them uh, and their ability to conduct these particular strikes. I don't see, at this moment at least, a need for the United States to, uh, you know, come in on the ground in Yemen. So I don't think that is a possibility. But at the moment, we could see ratcheting up of escalation. Certainly the rhetoric coming out of Yemen right now is they're not afraid of Americans. That's pretty typical. But whether that then translates into a, a subsequent military strike, that's another, that's another question. Jeff, you're a very measured commentator, which we appreciate. So I'm going to ask this in a, a measured way. As you have observed the foreign policies of, of administrations that have come and gone through the years, does it strike you that this one is pretty reticent to protect to project American power around the globe compared with others? I wouldn't say reticent so much. I would say measured. Okay, might be the right word. <laughs> There is a very big concern in this administration about the possibility of escalation. And we have to look at the conflict beginning with the war in Iraq, in Ukraine, really. And I think in this particular case, there was a concern at the very beginning that that war could spiral very quickly into a confrontation between the United States and Russia, which could then bring on the consequences of a nuclear confrontation or a nuclear catastrophe. Something you need to think about very hard and not be very reckless about. In the case of the war in Gaza, certainly what the administration has been trying to do, and some might say they have faulted too much on being less active than they should have been, uh, is send out a large amount of military power. Don't, don't forget, when the war in Gaza starts out, what's the first thing that happened? We have two carrier battle groups immediately dispatched to the region. We double the number of combat aircraft in the region. We put an awful lot of military power out there basically to say, don't get involved. Do not get involved. <clears throat> Now, one can say, well, that didn't work because we have seen the Houthis attack, we have seen Hezbollah attack and the like. But one can only imagine what might have transpired if, in fact, you hadn't put that much military power out there. <clears throat> and that being said, again, in the response to the Houthis, it has been very measured in terms of, first of all, a strategy of deterrence through denial. We're going to shoot your missiles down and show you that it's worthless. It's a waste of time and money for you to launch these missiles because we're going to shoot them all down. Well, now deterrence by denial just hasn't worked. So now we're going to the next step, which is deterrence through punishment. You keep doing this, we're going to punish you. So long-winded perhaps response, but I think what they've tried to do is walk that tightrope of being responsive to the event, trying to deter expansion of violence and escalation, while at the same time reserving the possibility of greater effort. And finally, I think what they've also tried to do is cloak all their efforts in international consequences. Uh, this is an international response. The United Kingdom was involved. The Dutch were involved. Bahrain was involved. Australia was involved. Canada was involved. This is an international response to the Houthis. In like fashion, the response to the Russians has been a concerted effort by the administration to bring together NATO and a whole bunch of countries in response to the Russian aggression in, in uh, Ukraine. So they've also wanted an international response to these crises as opposed to the United States operating unilaterally. Would you guess that this was delayed in any way or altered any way by the Secretary of Defense being in the hospital and all that confusion of last week? No, I don't think that that uh, slowed the decision making. I think the tipping point was Monday when you had this very large, complex attack by the Houthis of over two dozen missiles, drones, and ship missiles. One of which was fired very close to a U.S. flag vessel full of jet fuel. I think that was the 
tipping point, but this has been coming for some period of time. I'm sure Pentagon planners have been dusting off target lists over Yemen. I'm sure there's been a whole bunch of intel, drone flights, and satellite imagery over Yemen. I'm sure there's been a repositioning of aircraft and the repositioning of the Eisenhower Task Force in preparation. So there's been preparing to do this for quite some period of time. But the Secretary's health challenges, it's just unfortunate that that is transpiring in the middle of this, I'm sure, for the administration. It's just one more thing that they really don't need right now. Last question uh, for Jeff McCausland, CBS News military consultant. Uh, Jeff, I'm told that the Houthis are fond, like Hamas is, of hiding their military assets in civilian centers and civilian facilities like hospitals and schools. Is that what you've heard as well? Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's decidedly the case. That being said, the type of things we're talking about in this case, unlike Hamas, which we're talking about fighters or uh, you know conventional ammunition or anti-tank weapons or whatever, you can hide that. You know, hiding a cruise missile amongst the population or moving it around, hiding a radar, many of which are fixed as opposed to mo- mobile amongst uh, the, the, the civilian population. And that comes back to that, what I said to you before. This is a country that is racked by unbelievable humanitarian crises. People are literally starving to death. So how can anyone imagine a government which was looking out for its population would decide the best thing for us to do is pick a fight with not only the superpower of the planet, Let's pick a fight with the entire international community over an issue which really doesn't affect us directly at all. Boy, well said. Well said. Jeff McCausland, CBS News. Jeff, uh, thanks a million for the time. Take care, guys. Armstrong and Getty. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.